There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, the host, coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. The um, Guys, I, I'm really excited about this episode. This is kind of a, it's, it's, it's one that is out of necessity, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that before I bring on the guest, uh, but I do have a quick announcement I need to make. We are here at the Western Huntsman, very proud to announce a new sponsorship and discount code for you guys uh, through our friends at the Elk Collective. And if you guys have been living under a rock and don't know who the Elk Collective is, it is a group of hunters that put together uh, a very specific learning and educational platform for elk hunters that is totally online. And it is, when you when you get the service, you can log in, and there is tons and tons of content, and this is all very specific to elk hunting. And I don't mean just specific to September elk hunting. This is going to be for any elk hunter out there. So if you guys, instead of you know spending money on you know uh, a, a new bow or something that you you might not need, or all the all the gizmos and gadgets that are available out there. Um, this is something that you can invest in yourself and make yourself the best piece of gear that you have. Well, what's between your ears? And that's the idea with the Elk Collective. It's not just one person. It's a collective of professional elk hunters, the the folks that have been getting it done for a long time, that know how to communicate with the elk. They know how to get into elk, locate elk, e-scout for elk. All the things that are broken down within this course will make you that much closer to notching your tag this coming September or October or heck even November December whenever you're going out depending on what state you're in but um, the the course has over 140 videos and it's all things elk hunting so a few things how to get elk tags uh, out west uh, the draw process uh, scouting e-scouting elk calling for you know from beginning to advanced elk callers out there gear fitness and nutrition shooting process hunting scenarios, and a lot more. So the course, guys, is normally $89, and they've agreed to give you a $20 discount if you use promo code the Western Huntsman when you log in and get the course. So for $69, bucks, you are going to be a lot more deadly out there in the field. So lots more to come with that down the road. That actually just happened today, the day we're recording this, which is February 17th. Uh, this episode won't be out until next week, but... You guys get the gist of it. It's a it's a really good one. It's, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's uh, just really good people in it. So I was excited to announce that. Uh, and uh, again, we'll have more to talk about with that down the road. So this week, if you are in Idaho, this is going to be especially pertinent to you. If you are in any Western state, it is also going to be very pertinent to you because of what some of the recent trends have been with how hunting rules and regulations are established in each state, and it kind of does vary from state to state. But um, 
here in the state of Idaho in 1938, the citizens deci- decided that we were going to establish a fish and wild, or I'm sorry, a fish and game commission that makes the rules and regulations th- for hunting. Because remember, I've talked about this on the show in the past. In Idaho, the process in which we manage our wildlife is solely and strictly through hunting based on science that a commission determines what is going to be best for our wildlife throughout our landscapes. So um, that is that is the process. And there has been this trend lately of legislatures wanting to kind of meddle in that and get involved with uh, introducing legislation and bills and rules and regulations and things like that. And here in Idaho, recently a uh, representative, I, I want to say it's Brad Mitchell, but I, I could be getting that wrong, out of Moscow, introduced HB 507, which is going to be a rule and regulation change uh, to allow lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads. Um, and essentially bypassing the commission and the process that Idaho is used to and accustomed to. And it's kind of a dangerous trend that's been going on throughout the West. And we're going to talk about that. And uh, to, uh, to, to uh, I guess, for this episode, to back this topic up, I brought in somebody that is going to know the ins and outs of this process because he is a commissioner. And I am uh, really excited to have him on. So Derek Atterbury. Did I say your last name right, Derek? I would. Yep, correct. Okay, good deal. Commissioner Atterbury is here. He's out of Idaho Falls, and he's an Idaho Fish and Game Commissioner. He's been on the commission for a few years. Um, and Derek, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for joining me. Glad to be here, Jim. So uh, let's let's kind of kick this off with a little bit of discussion around your background and how you grew up and and what hunting means to you. Is that okay? Can you give us a bird's eye Absolutely. view? Absolutely. So um, I moved uh, with my family when I was younger to Idaho in about 1983 and grew up primarily fishing. My dad was a fisherman and angler and kind of learned that from him. And then I met a great friend in the sixth grade. His name was Aaron Murdoch and their family had a cabin in Island Park. And so we uh, traveled up there and that's kind of where I got my first exposure to hunting. Uh, mostly archery hunting, elk and deer. And, um, you know, from about 12, uh, before I was married, that's kind of where I got broke into hunting here in Idaho. I, uh, the area, when you grew up, before I, I say that, are you, did you grow up in the Idaho Falls area after 1983? Yep, Idaho Falls and a little bit in Rexburg. So my uh, my family we used to have our family reunions down there in Rigby, Idaho, not not super mm-hmm. far from you. Um, I don't know if that little pond is still there. Like there, it was like this campground on this pond, and I, I was pretty young, so I don't I don't remember. I just remember I took my uncle Charlie's rowboat out and forgot to put the plug in and almost sank it out in his <laughs> pond. So <laughs> we had to get my cousins involved to help get it back to shore. But um, that's a great place to be. Uh, you're, you're so central to so many different things that Idaho has to offer, and I, I love the area. Um, how did it come about that you became a, an Idaho Fish and Game Commissioner? That's a great question. Um, you know, for a while I had I looked at it, I had interest in it. I've always been inter- interested in the department and its inner workings. And, you know, did a little research to kind of understand what the commission was about, um, the department, the legislature, to understand those dynamics. And for a while, I'd been serving in some church capacities and just didn't have the time. 
And when I was finished up with those, I said, why not? You know, I knew there was an application process. Mm-hmm. So I applied, um, you know, went through a, a, a panel interview. There was six or eight people. I think there was a dozen of us that applied for the region six position. And from that, that uh, panel picked three of us and the three of us uh, met with Governor Otter at the time, and he picked me or appointed me. So was that pretty, I mean, just like a personal note, is that pretty intimidating meeting with the governor? You know, I I didn't know the governor. I'd never met him, um, which makes it really unique. It kind of puts faith back in the system that the average citizen can be in government. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, he was a great individual, uh, made me feel really comfortable, and I thought the interview went really well. Good. Yeah, I've I've always I've you know I've I've met a governor a couple of times, and but not in the capacity as you know like where you were in where you were, I mean not not interviewing for a job so to speak, but you were interviewing for a position that that was important to you. Did you have like a sense of? Uh, you know, I want to go into this this dynamic of fish and game management and, and uh, you know, hunting regulation commissions and, and, and these these things that, that take place on because on, it's an important commission. Um, and, and I would say when you're when you're talking about different states, especially across the American West, the Idaho Fish and Game is is a more important commission <laughs> to the state of Idaho than maybe the level of importance it, it is placed on commissions that are not Idaho um, because of the heritage that Idaho is and, and, and how hunting and fishing is ingrained in the citizens. And that might be a bold statement, um, and, and I might catch some flack for saying that, but it really is an Idaho heritage thing. And so I guess that was a long way of me asking, uh, you know, what did you have this sense that you you felt this need to serve on this this board uh, out of a necessity for a specific mission, or was was it um, you were you were kind of sick and tired of of the way things were were taking place, or some of the decisions in the past, or uh, an opportunity that maybe you just felt you could make a positive difference at? Does that make sense? How I'm asking that. Yes, I would probably say the latter, the latter part of your question there, more that I could make a difference. I didn't come into it with any biases, any kind of agenda, wasn't upset with the department or the legislature or the way that, you know, hunting, uh, trapping and fishing was going in the state. I just knew that I want to be part of that decision making process, not from a not from a, a power um, standpoint, but just the ability to be part of the decision making to as you said, keep Idaho, Idaho, mm-hmm. uh, now and in the future. I mean, we do have a great heritage. We also have a great future, if we'll allow it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. What do you see? How now? How long have you been a commissioner? So I was uh, appointed September of 2015. Okay. Um, the the reason I ask that is because I'm curious about what your perspective is as to how things were in 2015 and how it's changed to now in 2022, and if there's anything that stands out in your mind that is alarming. I don't. I wouldn't say that any, necessarily that things are alarming. Um, <clears throat> I've noticed that the public involvement has become more in my almost well seven years. Of being on the commission so and that i really appreciate because that's where we get the you know the public's perspective of 
how they, they want to see their hunting, fishing, and trapping. So I've noticed that. Um, there's been other things as far as, you know, everybody kind of has their agenda, what they think that that should be, mm-hmm. and which is good and bad. And it, it can make the uh, decision-making process interesting. So I'd probably leave it at that. I don't think I've seen anything extremely alarming. Okay, and that's good because, uh, again, we are in Idaho, so I think that it's things that, that can come at us that are alarming uh, are probably a lot more reduced than, than some of our, our you know sister western states, whatever you want to call it. Um, let, let me add one thing, Jim. Oh, go ahead. Not necessarily alarming but maybe concerning is that the influx of – people moving to Idaho as our population increases, you know, what dynamic that has on our fish and wildlife moving forward. Obviously people are coming to Idaho for the, the way of life and the recreation, which is huge. People want to come here to be able to recreate and enjoy the outdoors. And so that at times can be pretty taxing on the resource. So that that's a little bit of concern of where we're at now and where we're going forward. So with the influx of, of the population, um, has I don't even know how to ask that, but do you feel like there is a, a difference in terms of like culturally how some of the maybe messages, emails, phone calls you get from from the citizens has that changed or evolved at all in, in whether positive or negative, or do you feel like the influx has overall been you know on the positive side of a uh, uh, a hunting culture? Probably a little bit of both. People are excited to come here to hunt, fish, and trap. They want to be part of uh, that legacy and that heritage that we have in Idaho. It's important to them. But then on the flip side, those that don't want to see that are just as equally, you know, have a strong voice as well. So I would see it's just kind of growing on in both camps, if you will. Uh, they're both passionate about it. Yeah, uh, but I but I do see a lot of positive um, influence from people that want to come here and hunt. So and being, um, I know I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but I, I always I always feel like I have this I need this series of uh, you know what do they call that um, lightning question round kind of thing when when we have a commissioner on. Which by the way, and I I think I message uh, you kind of along these lines, uh, commissioner, that the one thing that I will I will say when it and I think the Idaho Fish and Game Commission deserves a lot of credit and and you know that said as well as the Idaho Fishing members of the actual Idaho Fish and Game Department geez I'm getting tongue tied here <laughs> um, every time I have asked somebody to come on from the commission they've agreed every time I've asked somebody from the Idaho Fish and Game Department to come on to include uh, the director Director Schriever uh, they've agreed to come on. That is such a a unique thing. Like like I'm just some dude up here in North Idaho that likes to hunt that started a podcast, and it's an amazing thing that that you guys are so willing and open. And every every one of you has been. And and I'm I'm saying this to the Idaho listeners that you know we we can all find something to gripe about when it, whether it's you know fish and game related or the commission related, whatever. But you you compare that dynamic with some of the out of state dynamics that that I've seen and and you know with this show have experienced. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. And so 
you know, from my end, I, I, I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Uh, and I mean that it's an important thing. You're not, you're not a hunter that wants to come on and promote his Instagram or, or come on and, and promote a product or something like that, which, which there's, you know, by the way, nothing wrong with that, but there is not really anything substantial that you personally gain from it other than getting your perspective in your message out there. And, and it's, it's, you know, taking up time away from your family and it's just an important thing. And so kudos to the, to the Idaho Fish and Game Commission. Um, that, that is not something that can be said for other states. And, and believe me when I tell you, I've tried, uh, especially with some of these bigger issues that we're dealing with out of state. So uh, I just wanted to kind of get that out there. Um, Correct. You know, we're as commissioners, we're pretty passionate about what we do. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to for the public to hear us in a, in a different format. Uh, one thing I will add, um, as a commissioner on the Idaho Fishing Game Commission, I am the commission representative to WAFWA, the Western Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies. Hmm. And so twice a year, I get the opportunity to interact with the Western states, with the other states' departments, their directors, and their commission and board. And so, yeah, I, I have had a lot of exposure to how things work in other states, the dynamics, the issues and challenges they have within their own individual commissions. And a lot of those people are in some tough spots. And so yeah, yeah, they are. I really appreciate um, what we have in Idaho. And all of, the, all of us commissioners on the Idaho Fishing Game Commission, we're pretty passionate about what we do. I, I want to ask something before we jump into kind of the nuts and bolts of this, um, because that that's a great point that you made there. Um, I, I and I, I've got a buddy who is down in California that's that's dealing with some of these uh, bear hunting bans that are being presented, you know, from the HSUS and, and other organizations. But um, he made a really interesting point, and it's something I've thought about for a long time. But on the Idaho Fish and Game commission uh to include the department members that that actually work for for the department um what is the impact the the social impact for example when when there is a petition or say a um a comment period on a rule change or something like that what is the value to commissioners from a social aspect meaning like if they get a thousand people that comment against something because it's kind of an anti-hunting thing versus 200 pro-hunting comments because let's face it, hunters don't have a great track record of being involved in a lot of this stuff. Um, what what impact does that have on the Idaho Fish and Game Commission? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I think it has a pretty big impact. It's important when we when we get these surveys. I like to I like to get all the comments and survey uh, participants from the department. Not they'll generally provide a um, analysis or a summary. I like to look at it from every comment. So depending on the issue, there can be thousands of comments. I like to look through them. Um, so you're kind of dissecting through it. Um, Anti's supportive hunting, uh, Idaho residents, non-residents kind of get their perspective and feel and that gives me a better idea of how to make a decision so i i really i i champion the the public comment um a lot of people in the state say well they never listen to us you know their mind is already made up i know i know. And I, I can tell you that that is not the case um, 
I love it to see the comments. Some of them are kind of comical. Some are entertaining. Some are at times life-threatening, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Depending on the issue. I can but, imagine. Um, I, I respect all the public comments. It gives me a broad base to be able to make the best decision. Okay. Can can I expand on that question? Absolutely. So what is the as as a commissioner you're sitting there you're you're going through some of these comments is there a level of impact that out of state non-hunters have on the decision you would make versus uh like like citizens of Idaho how does how does that get prioritized so non-hunter comments non-hunters i'm not talking about somebody in california that wants to come and hunt elk i'm t- i'm talking about um, an organization in, say, San Francisco or Chicago, Illinois, or something that puts something together to send in massive amounts of comments from anti-hunting organizations. I, I think that that's the essence of what I'm what I'm driving at. Certainly, and we do see a lot of those. A lot of the comments are in form letters or form emails, and you you can you can dissect those out right away. I'll usually look through them, look to see if there's any personal comments. But to be honest with you, for some of these people, they're going to be completely negative and don't want to um, engage and respect the heritage that we have and the future that we want to continue having. It doesn't have a bearance to me okay. because I'm there to support our fish and wildlife and our heritage, heritage because I believe hunting is conservation, and that's how we want to manage our wildlife in the state of Idaho. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, and, and to the point that you made earlier that – there's a lot of because com- I see these comments as well where there's a lot of people that are like oh well the you know the fish and game commission they never listen to us and I don't even bother with a comment period or I don't ever go to any of the meetings and and yada 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 I I see that all the time and and the the message that I would want to put out to people that maybe have that perspective because maybe they've been on one side of something that didn't go the way that they thought it should have um, I I would like to just add that. That's that's happened to me as well, where I, I felt like something didn't go the way I wanted it to. Um, but th- I I believe in in what you just said, Commissioner, uh, that that you guys actually do listen despite some of the comments that say that they don't, because just because we might not agree with the finality of of one decision or another doesn't mean that you don't take into consideration some of those things and so and i think that that's a that's a fine line to tread because i know that there's a lot of listeners out there that are going to hear me say that and they're going to be like oh yeah well i sent in this comment and nobody even responded or nobody listened to me or they went the other way i get that that's always going to happen that's always going to happen when when we're dealing with something like this especially with so many people what are there 1.8 or 1.9 million people in the state of idaho now i believe so yeah 1.9 yeah yeah it's nuts it's nuts and so uh, i i say that just cuz it doesn't seem like i don't know how old you are but it doesn't seem like that long ago that uh there was you know not even a million people in the state of Idaho. And so um, I just wanted to throw that out there. So let's get to, let's get into this uh, HB 507. Um, And I think that it is important from, from the platform of the Western Huntsman that is, uh, because for, for those of you listening, HB 507 includes uh, lighted knocks and, um, uh, mechanical broadheads. Is that is that right? Am I? I'm saying that's that, right? correct. For some reason, I went blank there, which happens a lot when I'm recording. 
Um, on that topic, this is something that the commission has discussed probably multiple times since you've been a commissioner. Um, and, and I want both you and the audience to know that from my perspective, I could care less if we have lighted knocks or mechanical broadheads. I know there's a lot of people that are very pro-mechanical broadheads. Cool. I, I don't care. Uh, there's a lot of people that are that absolutely hate them. Um, that's that's fine with me too. I you know prefer I, I prefer the the type of broadhead that I've been using for a long time and probably wouldn't change it. Lighted knocks. Um, I I have some opinions on them that are very light, meaning I I think they would be beneficial in recovering game. Uh, do I think it's a game changer? Or do I feel like it's a fight that I would want to totally involve myself in for or against? No, I, I don't care that much about either one. So the point is, is from this show's pers- perspective, I, I don't have a strong opinion on it. We don't have a strong opinion on it here uh, either way. And importantly, um, the strong opinion aside one way or the other is not like a judgment on any hunter out there. So I, I again, if you if you like mechanical broadheads, I'm totally cool with that as long as you're not using them in Idaho, because as of right now they're not legal. But uh, can you talk to us about the process that Idaho has used since 1938 to uh, change rules and regulations for hunting in the state of Idaho, hunting and trapping? Yeah, I can talk a little bit to that or provide a little bit of a historical perspective. Um, even prior to me being on the commission, a lot of these things were in play and had um, had been reviewed uh, just before I came on the commission. So about 2006 through 2009, uh, the commission went through a, a pretty thorough review of both archery and muzzleloader equipment and you know, looking at different adjustments to regulations and with the different interests of the public and and what that might bring change wise. And so, I mean, you can think of some of the changes that took place there uh, for archery. You know, there was 85% let off on bows, minimum arrow weights, things of that nature, and the whole muzzleloader um, equipment change. Yep. So you advance forward to about July of 14, um, Idaho Fishing Game Department put on um, kind of like a clinic, if you will, for the commission to kind of go through some of those items. And 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 the commission went through that. And I think it was May May of 2015, the commission asked the sta- uh, staff to draft kind of a guidance statement that kind of would reflect the commission's philosophy in regards to method of take. And that uh, statement drafted uh, used the language um, restrict the use of technological advances in fish and wildlife recreation when they compromise fair chase and management objectives. And that's kind of been the guidance of the commission. Um, now, I came on, like I said, the September of 15, and we've continually talked and discussed about it, uh, about uh, lighted knocks in particular. And we've had a lot of public involvement with that. And then, of course, the petition that came uh, forward in the spring of 2020. So, uh, since you've been commissioner, yeah, you you mentioned I, it sounded like maybe once or twice, but like I know that there's been a lot of petitions for for lighted knocks. Let's let's take mechanicals out of it for a minute, uh, and and lighted knocks. And and I kind of want to play devil's advocate with this for a minute. Um, how many times do you think the commission has addressed that specific issue since you've been a commissioner? 
since I've been a commissioner, we've we've um, we've looked at it the one time as since I've been a commissioner when the petition came mm-hmm. forward from Josh Hansen in yep. I think it was yep. March of 2020. And so that was the only formal time. Now, we've discussed it as a body um, quite frequently. Obviously, a lot of public comments coming in saying, why can't we have lighted knocks or what about mechanical broadheads? Uh, we, in fact, I don't remember which year it was. It may have been uh, 2018. We actually had a little workshop where the commission looked at air rifles and actually mechanical broadheads and had a little demonstration with the, the current technology there in 18. So we had a little exposure to what they were, what they were capable of about that time frame. What is the uh, commission's opposition to lighted knocks specifically? I think it probably delves, and again, I, I probably should preface this. Um, the commission acts as a body. I'm on your podcast talking as an individual commissioner, so sure, my, sure. I don't. Re- my opinions don't reflect the you know the complete decision making of the commission body itself. But I think, that's I think an, it's more. Yeah, that's an important point. Thank you. You bet, Jim. But I think it's more probably from the standpoint of technology creep. You know, as we look at archery or muzzle loading. Technically, we've considered a kind of a primitive way of hunting, and as uh, technology continues to increase and we see it with everything, it makes us more efficient, more effective hunters. That, in turn, uh, usually will drive up harvest uh, percentage, and so we've tried to keep them primitive-type hunts. I mean, not like loincloth and longbow-type deal, but somewhere... I think it should be loincloth. cloth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, one time, one time I was uh, muzzleloader hunting, and I saw a guy just drifting through the woods in a complete buckskin outfit, walking <laughs> right. It was. It took me back like 200 years. It was pretty neat. If you see that guy again, tell him I want to get him <laughs> on my show. That's my kind of dude. I'll, I'll do that. Um. So that. I guess with with the lighted knocks, and again, I I'll tell you, I when I bow hunt, I I've only bow hunted in two states, uh, and and Idaho is the one I've done the lion's share of my bow hunting in, um, and I don't I don't remember when I was a bow hunter when I was bow hunting in Utah, I don't remember whether or not lighted knocks were allowed or not. I I just don't. It wasn't a thing for me, um, and so I say that to highlight that. Yeah, you know, it's just not that super important to me. But I, I do want, I, I do know that it is super important to a lot of hunters, and uh, they would find me remiss if I didn't, if I didn't push that a little bit, and suggest that from a technological standpoint, why does it have to be looked at as a technological creep? What is the philosophy or, or you know, conceptual idea of that? Versus taking each issue on a one-on-one basis and say, okay, lighted knocks, you know, that's not necessarily a, a technological, you know, thing that's going to increase harvest, so to speak, um, but perhaps just more of a tool to, you know, when, when somebody releases an arrow on an elk, you can kind of get a better idea of where that arrow hit. Um, I have I have one circumstance in my past a couple of years ago where that that probably would have been helpful uh but versus uh, so I, I guess that does that make sense how i'm asking that what what i'm asking is is instead of looking at it as like is this is it gonna creep like that or is it something we could just take you know 
individual steps because you know it's not like lighted Knox are ordering up a guided missile um, <laughs> or anything like that, right? And so, can can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I I feel I can. Um, you know, you're right. It's not like a guided missile or anything like that. Um, you know, it can help an individual hunter track the arrow. It can lead to other things potentially. You know, uh, possibly. Earlier or later shots that typically an individual wouldn't take without a lighted knock. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of get into some of the ethics a little bit, and I think it's probably more from a standpoint again of just where where do we draw that line? You know, if if we allow lighted knocks and mechanicals, what's the next thing to come, and the next thing, and the next thing? You know, do we need to continue crossing that bridge because? manufacturers are providing technology that makes us more efficient killers, if you will. Sure. Um, and I think that's, I can't speak for all the commissioners and all the commissions prior to me. I look at it from that standpoint that that's probably what resonates with me is, you know, where, where do we draw that line for archery and muzzle loader type hunts? Yeah. And I, I agree with that to, to a, I think that you and I, would would for the most part agree with that where where i think things get fuzzy and where lines can be drawn is we have to look at the nuance of, of each hunt and each particular what we consider fair chase you know I'll, I'll give you a great example uh one of the things that uh, i'm involved with is a company called tacticam and tacticam mm-hmm. has a little pov camera that you can actually attach to your scope to film the hunt it it would not add any kind of strategic value or or lethality to my hunt, but it would allow me to capture it on film, so uh, that I have the memory and I can I can if I wanted to make videos, which I just so we all are know this, I don't know how to make videos and put them on YouTube. Um, I tried, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, but the the point is, is in Idaho, I can't do that. I cannot put that camera through the FTS system, which is called a film through scope attachment, and film that shot. On for for big game, I can I can do it for you know coyotes and whatnot, um, and that kind of rubs me a little bit negatively. And so I I wonder if sometimes we can't be a little bit more nuanced, like like look at that and say okay, we're just adding a camera here. It's not it's not zooming in anymore. It's not creating any kind of artificial light. It's not doing anything other than record what is going on right there in the field. And and that could be the line that we talk about. And I don't mean to give you a hard time. I'm just I'm asking what your opinion would be on on some of those more nuanced items. Right. You know, it's some of these technologies. You know, if I looked at it mice from an individual standpoint as a hunter, you know, could I live without lighted knocks or mechanicals? Absolutely. You know, in in my past archery experiences, I've done that. Yeah. Um, could we move forward with them? Absolutely, we could. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think what archers want, and I, I don't say this like in a threatening way, or this would, you know, if it were to pass, what it would evolve to. Archers in the state of Idaho have resoundingly stated that they want the most opportunity that they can have. I mean, we we look at, you know, when you look through the regulations, archery hunting throughout the state, you're almost 30 days. Yep. Um, that's fantastic. You know, when I when I solely archery hunted, I loved being able to get out there and I maximized that, and I really enjoyed it. Some years I killed and harvested, and other years I did not. And I think that's probably from 
a portion of the hunters um, in Idaho, they don't want to see that reduced. Scree gear. Have you guys checked it out yet? Scree is extreme mountain gear. The high-performance hunting attire, scientifically tested, backed by a great company. It's my go-to camo, and of all the discussion we have about all this uh, infighting amongst hunters about what kind of gear they choose, it's okay to have a favorite, as long as we're not fighting about it. And my favorite and my proven gear is Scree. Scree is spelled S-K-R-E. It's kind of a play on the word from Scree Rock found at the bottom of a cliff face or something like that. And they changed the name. And Scree gear is a complete layering system for all terrain and conditions. Gear designed to adapt to the weather. It's rugged gear, and it's all backed by a lifetime warranty. One of the things I really like about Scree is their VIP sizing and exchange program. Order the wrong size pants, they don't fit right, send them back. They'll send you another pair. It's all on Scree's dime. Guys, it's a great company. Check them out at ScreeGear.com and use the promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. Hoffman Boots is another show favorite right here at the Western Huntsman. There's lots of good boots out there. Uh, there's a lot of bad boots out there too, but Hoffman is a proven, proven system that I've been using for a few years. Actually, I've been using them for close to a decade now. And I love the company. I love the story of the company. It's like a family of shoemakers. And it's just a great North Idaho story. It's a great American story. They make a great boot without breaking the bank. Check it out at hoffmanboots.com and use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Don't forget, Phelps Game Calls is my go-to call company. You guys know it. I've been using Phelps for a long time. They're the oldest sponsor on this show. I'd say the flagship line of calls that they have is definitely geared towards elk. And what a great job that they do. But don't forget that Phelps Game Calls also has a full line of like waterfowl calls, predator calls. There's things that you can check out on the Phelps website that might surprise you. To include something that is coming up quick for us hunters, which is spring turkey. And I don't know how many of you are into spring turkey hunting, but man, is it a ball. It's a riot. you got to check it out. I love the black bat from Phelps Game Calls. It works very well for me. It's a great little read. And try out the uh, blacktail in distress call uh, when you're hunting bears. I'd love to hear if somebody calls one in that way. I've tried it a few times with, with no luck yet, but the you know we got a whole new season coming up, and it's coming quick, and I'm going to try it again. So check out phelpsgamecalls.com. Use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. If you check out the westernhuntsman.com, you are going to find anything from T-shirts to Tacticam gear and all of that stuff. A portion of those proceeds is going to go towards conservation and fighting against the anti-hunting movement. Plus, you'll be sporting a cool t-shirt that says a Western Huntsman. And now I'm not the greatest t-shirt designer in the world, but I do have a friend that is. And he helped me put together a couple of really cool t-shirts on there. They're up now at thewesternhuntsman.com. And you could check it out. And guys, it, it supports the show. It helps me pay for all this equipment to get these shows out there. And to top it off, we're going to help fight against the anti-hunting movement. And there's a lot of new information and, and big announcements coming up regarding that from the Western Huntsman. So check it out at thewesternhuntsman.com and get you a t-shirt or get you some Tacticam gear. I'd really appreciate it. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. I, I would totally agree with that. I, I would, 
Uh, as as cool as it would be, maybe to have some lighted knocks. I, again, mechanical broadheads. Hey, if you're listening, AJ McVitty, we don't need mechanical broadheads. Come on, come on. That's for sissies. No, I'm kidding. Uh, he's get, now he's gonna text me up a storm when I release this. But um, the point, like I, I would much rather have the longer seasons than lighted knocks or mechanical broad broadheads. Down, hands down. If the commission said, hey, here's the choice. You can uh, carry on with seasons as they are now to include that you can hunt elk for just about 30 days, um, which I don't know if this was you or not, but thanks for opening up North Idaho to or the Panhandle for uh, that earlier, that, that first week uh, starting August 30th, because that, man, the elk were lit up that week. And I shouldn't even say that on the podcast, but holy cow, <laughs> they were lit up. So anyway, um, my point is, I'd much rather have the longer seasons. I'd much rather have that time in the field to include when archery season ends. Now I can go out. I've got, if I failed, I've got five days on the rifle, blah, blah, blah. I can go out with a muzzle loader. You know, it's a very liberal season. And I think that a lot of people that have never hunted outside of Idaho or maybe have never lived in other Western states understand how liberal and great these seasons are. And that's an important thing. It's it's a quality of life for a hunter to live in Idaho because of those seasons. So, um, yeah, I, I, now that I've given you a hard time about lighted knocks, let's switch to this HB five, unless you have any finishing thoughts with that. Sorry. No, and I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm against the lighted knocks or not. Let me go back to a little historical perspective when the petition came out. <clears throat> so when Josh Hansen moved his petition to the commission for lighted knocks, it didn't include mechanicals, just lighted knocks. Mm-hmm. It came to the commission, and, you know, it's kind of been a, a long-standing policy of the commission to obviously not include advancement in technology. Uh, I felt that it would be important to have the broader voice or the debate amongst all of Idaho because the petition kind of came. It was within about a two-month period, and then we, we uh, dealt with it at our May commission meeting, and it was COVID, and things were really strange. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember that. I I felt it was important um, to at least have the discussion statewide, bring it out in the open, let everybody hash it out, not just on a couple of social media pages and two months with enrollment. Let's really talk this out. Mm-hmm. So I made the motion to advance it to negotiated rulemaking. Not necessarily that I supported it, but hey, let's talk about this so everybody gets to participate. And unfortunately, it didn't receive a second. So the petition was denied. I think it's important that everybody gets to participate, you know, and we just don't hear the loudest voices because there's a lot of people that want lighted knocks and mechanicals, and there's a good portion of Idaho hunters that do not. Totally agree. Um, that that kind of leads me to a follow-up question. With the process that brought you to bringing that up to make that more statewide to hear everybody's voice, is what is the proper way? Was was that was that petition that that uh, Josh had started? Is that an appropriate way to bring a table, or I'm sorry, bring an issue to the table, or are there more effective ways? Are there like what? Can you talk about w- what gets the commission's attention, and are petitions the way to go? Are you know what what do we do? Because I do think that sometimes hunters that are in the field a lot, maybe see an issue and maybe they can, they can raise awareness that it's something they're passionate about, but maybe they feel like they don't have a, a, an avenue. 
I, I don't know that that petition was the right way to go about it, but I, I, I'm asking you, what is the appropriate way to approach the commission with, with something like that when we're talking about a rule change? Yeah, we are we're seeing more petitions, um, and I'll speak to that a little bit more here in a second, but I think the appropriate way is all the above. So sometimes the department itself is receiving comments from hunters. You, you know, they've got personnel in the field, biologists, conservation officers. They're hearing directly from people enjoying the resource. Us as commissioners are receiving phone calls, emails, texts, uh, things of that nature. Um, and then you have the petition part. And, and Josh's petition, uh, he actually called and contacted me, talked a little bit with me about the process. Mm-hmm. I think I think he did well. I really do. I, I think he was honest in the way he brought it forward. It was well articulated. And I think he did a good job of bringing it to the commission. I don't think he failed or did anything bad on his part. I think it was, I felt it was really good. I think, I think it was somebody that was just really passionate about that issue that, that wanted his voice heard. Right. And, and it, it got to the point where at least it created the discussion, whether it got seconded Correct. or not, you know? And so, uh, there's something to be said for that for sure. So, and, and oftentimes, you know, even from just emails and phone calls, I'm not changed. Uh, seasons, um, dates by passionate hunters wanting to see something different. You know, maybe they feel the resources and uh, the population is as large as it should be, or this date range is not good. And so we've reacted to that and made changes via emails and calls. And so all the above kind of gets put together, even the public comments at the public meetings, um, it all goes basically into the hopper to you to, as a commissioner to make it you know, like a good decision. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's a great point. So now that we have that established and we've established that in the state of Idaho, you know, you talked about it and I talked about it since 1938, the, the commission, the fishing game commission is what establishes rules and regulations for our hunting season. And that it's going to be based on, um, the the biologist recommendations, the social factors, the science, uh, you know, all these different things that you guys put, you know, however you guys weigh your decision. Uh, I'm not a fish and game commissioner, so uh, I can't speak as an expert. But um, can we talk about uh, the recent introduction of HB 507? Uh, the process of which, and just as a reminder to the, those listening, this was a legislator in the state of Idaho that introduced the bill, um, bypassing the commission to try to get it passed through legislation. Um, what is your take on that? Let's let's start with that. My take on that, I mean, obviously the commission was voted by the citizens of Idaho in 1938 for a reason. They want to take politics you know, out of that wildlife management. And mm-hmm. That was the reason that the commission was put in place. And obviously my preference is to work through the commission. Um, Say, uh, um, Commissioner, just real quick, may, please make sure you're talking right into the, the phone there. I, I, you cut out just a little bit. I so, so, apologize about that. Are you there? I'm still, yeah, I'm still here, Jim. Sorry. Okay. Sorry about that. Now I can hear you clearly. Yeah, it's just super important to allow the commission to make those decisions. You know, in statute, uh, Title 36 is what's uh, beholden to the commission and the department. 
as far as statute and, you know, it talks about for the legislature, it's impractical um, for them to, to do that. They've got an important job to do. Let, let me let me emphasize that. Um, they do a lot of great things for our state and they have to know a myriad of things that they they vote on and that they're uh, beholden to their constituents for. But, um, it's kind of aw- uh, evident when um, the director or a member of our department goes and uh, gives a presentation to a committee or they're speaking towards specific legislation or a bill, whether it's sponsored from the citizens or from the department. You know, a lot of these people, they, they don't interact with the wildlife. They don't hunt, fish, or trap. Some do, but a lot of them don't, so they don't necessarily understand the dynamics of, of, of the discussion and what the decision, what the consequences of the decision is. So with HB 507, um, I'm speaking from somebody. I have no idea who this Representative Mitchell is. I will tell you one of two things, and and folks listening to this, it is important that you understand that I am Jim Huntsman, a private citizen with a uh, a podcast about hunting. I am not a commissioner, nor do I speak for the commissioners. But I am going to share that uh, this commissioner happens to be a little more diplomatic than I am. Um, I am, I am not okay with legislators meddling in our fishing game rulemaking process. It's not their place. It's not their level of expertise. It is not their decision. And like, like commissioner alluded to, how do I know this representative Mitchell knows anything about lighted knocks, mechanical broadheads or bow hunting in general? And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm trying not to get too excited because I, I do, I get wound up about this stuff. But I, well, let me back that up. I get wound up about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because you're passionate about, you're passionate about wildlife and the management of it. You know, I, I don't know. And the know, process. I yep. And the process. And I, I don't know, um, Representative Mitchell, Brandon Mitchell. Um, he's uh, from Moscow in his first term. I've never met him. I, I don't know anything about him. I, I'm not certain if he's just – he basically stated that he's had a lot of his constituents that want to see this pass. And he felt that their – they had stated to him that their voice was not being heard through the commission process, and therefore he's uh, you know enacted this legislation. They do get rowdy down there on the Palouse, man. If, you're, if people aren't listening, <laughs> they, like, they do get rowdy down there. But um, – yeah, you know, to 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 kind of round that out, um, I I totally understand when people feel like their voices aren't getting heard. But going through the political process versus the commission process is not the answer to it because it opens up so many things that can betray us as hunters in the future. And and we've seen this in multiple states, and we've been talking about this all winter long uh, in other states how how that's happened, and. Do you have? I, I guess that'd be a good question. Do you have a take on what some of the repercussions of of going at rulemaking through legislation versus the commission can can produce? Well, I think it creates a lot of chaos. You know, um, I think Idaho hunters <clears throat> they want to be uh, they want to be governed, if you will, through the commission. They want to see their wildlife managed through the commission seven members who are actively involved in hunting, fishing, and trapping versus, you know, an elected body that maybe some of them don't or do or had some exposure once. They want some expertise, not only from the department who's 
providing the technical expertise, but from the decision makers. And I, I think um, maybe a couple points I can make, Jim, as far as the importance of the commission. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're, we're just normal citizens. We're, um, we're, not, we're not driven by the agency. We're appointed. And oftentimes we hear that because we're appointed, we're not accountable. We're not elected. Um, and, and I would offer from that standpoint that, yes, we are appointed. We're not elected, but um, we're not we're kind of buffered from that appointment from the pressures of reelection, if you will. We don't have to make decisions yep. to make sure we're elected in the future. Um, the commission, we have staggered lengthy terms. And so that gives us the ability to have to look into the future. Um, so with that structure, the commission, we're able to kind of filter out some of biases, whether they're politi- political or certain motivations. Maybe it's some short term thinking that people have or special interests that we would kind of be involved in the decision-making process. And this allows us as commissioners to provide um, a little bit of balance across all wildlife concerns um, and, and what the public is wanting, uh, wanting from their wildlife. And it basically allows us to act in the best interests of both the public and the resource. We're not favoring any one particular group, any interest, or any certain geographical area. And that, I think, provides the best um, medicine for the long-term future wildlife uh, resources and our agency. And I would, yes, yep, uh, all, all great points. Uh, one question. As a commissioner, do you have extensive and very expensive uh, re-election costs? Uh, none. Do you personally have a website that money can be donated to you to make decisions on behalf of? No. And I think that some people might not understand that the political system and the commission system are as intertwined as they are. They're very, very different, and and the motivations are different, and not that – I, I don't mean that in some derogatory way where I think all politicians are just, you know, in it for themselves and, uh, sure. you know, will will be swayed by the wind. I don't I don't or, you know, the wind being campaign finance or, or something along those lines. I am not I'm not saying that's everybody. And I'm not saying that about Representative Mitchell. I, I don't know him. I, I don't know. But I will tell you that I do know that I have sent him a couple of messages and called his office to try to get him on the show to talk about this issue with zero response. And that is in comparison to every time I've reached out to a commissioner or a, a you know an employee of Idaho Fish and Game, I have gotten a response. And usually that response is, yes, I'll do it. So accountability. Accountability is something that I think is is really important because a lot of people do say exactly what you said. They're like, oh, well, commissioners don't have any accountability. Well, they do. They do have accountability. Uh, What I have found is that – sorry if you're a politician listening to this, but politicians don't have a lot of accountability. They they do things that are – like the politician that introduced HB 507 – knows darn well that that is not the process we use here in the state of Idaho. So what motivated him to do that besides people saying or claiming that it's just some constituents and, and you know, complaining about these, these rules and, and, and regulation changes that shouldn't be taking place through the legislature? 
I don't know. It's not neither here nor there, and he won't come on the show to explain that decision. But a lot of times they, they, they do feel like, as politicians, they are above the necessity to be accountable and explain themselves. This is why uh, – well, yeah. I want it to be – the topic of this to be for, – for folks listening, this needs to be less about lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads and more about the process because we have seen in – you know, the state of California, the state of Washington, the state of uh, Colorado, uh, Montana, Arizona, New Mexico. These states have been victims of this legislative process bypassing the commission. This does not put into the court of the hunter the advantage. I, did I say that right, Commissioner? I feel like I said that backwards. No, I, I think I, I, I understand and feel what you're saying there. It, it presents a lot of chaos. Yeah, chaos. Um, you know, and all the decision-making process or just the relationship between the department, commission, and sometimes governor. You know, I've interacted with some of the commissions where a new governor will be elected. They come in, they whitewash the commission. Uh, they may have been pro-hunting, fishing, and trapping prior, and now they have a new commission that's not. Yep. You know, and then, and then the hunters are kind of left with the bag going, what do we get out of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're – yeah, that's uh... – AKA the state of Washington is a mixed bag of, of commissioners. You've got some really good folks over there and you've got some folks that are yep. just obviously not pro hunting. They are not pro hunting. Um, and you know, that, that speaks to something I've talked about quite a bit, which is, I, I just don't think that a, a, an anti hunting individual should serve on a fish and game commission. It's just, it's like, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me, but with, when we're talking about going through the legislature, what do you see as repercussions bypassing a commission uh, for even something that seems so harmless, such as lighted knocks and, and mechanical broadheads? Out now, I'm going to catch some flax or flat commissioner. <laughs> I just I said mechanical broadheads are harmless, but um, it is what it is. What do you see as repercussions coming out of uh, you know going through it this this process and bypassing the commission? I just don't think it's good governance. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a spit in the face of uh, Idaho hunters, you know, going back to the 1938 <clears throat> initiative. And I know we always say that, but it's super important. There was a reason why they did that was to keep politics out of it for whatever reason. Um, I just don't think that oftentimes they have the best interests of Idaho hunters in, in mind. And for whatever reason, um, mm -hmm. the commission is put in place. I feel that we're the experts. You know, the governor has appointed us. The Senate has confirmed us um, to be able to lead that charge to making good decisions. Um, and I and I guess I'll dive in a little bit into the details of the House Bill 507. It's kind of some interesting nuances, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that. So, uh, so the so the end of January, we had a commission meeting. We were starting to get rumors that this legislation might come forward from somebody, and. Um, we during the, when the uh, legislature is in session, the commission typically has a teleconference every Thursday morning, at 8 a.m. where we kind of go over bills, uh, things that are related to uh, idle fishing game, and if they're new, we'll take a position to monitor support or not support. And um, we uh, this bill came out. Um, I think it was. I'm gonna get my dates right here. I think it was. Uh, February 2nd was referred to the uh, 
House Resource and Conservation Committee where the bill would be heard. Mm-hmm. And from that point, it could be voted at a committee and go to a floor vote. So that was February 2nd. Us as a commission, we met February 3rd, 3rd the day after, um, with a teleconference, and we discussed this in length because we had the bill uh, text and knew what it was. We took a position not to support it, more from the standpoint that the legislature was trying to manage wildlife, not necessarily on the nuance of lighted knocks or mechanical broadheads. We took a position to not support it, but we would move forward with negotiated rulemaking, going back to kind of my, uh, what I mentioned earlier about my original motion back in 2020. Mm-hmm. We go to negotiated rulemaking to have the ability for all the citizens, all the hunters of Idaho to be able to weigh in and then make a decision with the commission. So we put that out there, but yet Representative Mitchell continued to have this bill move through committee, through the floor vote, and just continue that on. And went to the floor, you know, it passed 63 to uh, there was nobody in opposition, which is kind of strange. Um, I don't know if that was uh, leadership telling them, you know, this is how we need to vote and what. I have no idea. Um, but it just was kind of troubling knowing that we said, hey, we'll take that negotiated rulemaking, let everybody participate. Uh, possibly he could have withdrawn his bill. We could have continued to commission way of wildlife management, but that's not the case. So where's it at now? So where it resides right now, so past the House, uh, 63 to 0, there were seven people not present. On uh, February 14th, it was referred to the Senate side, to the Senate Resources Environment Committee. That committee will do the same thing. They'll vote whether they advance it out of committee or they don't. If they do advance it out of committee, it goes to a Senate floor vote. If it passes, then it goes to the governor for signature. What... In your experience, where do you see this going? You know, it's interesting dynamic. I kind of have the feeling that uh, from the Senate side, they would move it forward, which um, as I think about this more and more, it's an interesting nuance. If it does pass through the Senate and it goes to the governor's desk for signature, you know, then he has the opportunity to sign a bill that didn't come through his commission and not through the typical um, how wildlife is managed through the commission. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, maybe the Senate says, you know what, in good faith, the commission said they'll take this in negotiated rulemaking, let everybody have their voice and go about that route. They could possibly say, you know, I'm going to pass it out of committee. I, I don't have the greatest feel for that. It's not on. Um, I look today, uh, that Senate committee did not meet today. They typically meet uh, mon- Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And I don't have an agenda yet for next week. So it possibly may show up on their agenda for committee next week. As a commissioner, does it strike you as super odd that this is an issue that, that, that has been discussed for a lo- you know many years and a lot of different discussions and petitions? And, um, you know, it's just it's one of those topics that just always seems to pop up. Um does it strike you as odd that a legislator slater would would just suddenly introduce this bill? In, in a sense, do you feel shunned? Does that make sense? You know, somewhat. Um, I think constantly or consistently, the legislature likes to remind the commission of who's in charge. More, 
from the standpoint of who makes the law. You know, that's what the yeah. legislature is there for. The commission basically administers policy, and they, they like to remind us of that um, consistently. So it does seem kind of odd that it came through that way. And it's to me, not to be anything negative towards Representative Mitchell, it seemed kind of odd coming out of the Moscow area. I maybe yeah. anticipated it would come out of a, a district out of the Boise, the Treasure Valley area, or even on my side of the state. Yeah, it, it, I, I thought it was odd, too, coming out of uh, Moscow. Um, and and I've got I've got a couple of friends down kind of the Lewiston area, and I don't know if there's something in the water or what, but they they get fired up super easy, you know, and and I don't know what the deal is with that. So, uh, but Moscow is just kind of this peaceful little quaint college town, you know, on the Palouse, and it it is a, it's just an odd place for that to drive out of. But uh, regardless, it's it, that's really beside the point. I I just want I. I want a couple things to come out of this episode, and and the biggest one is, you know, what the process is and why. Because let me tell everybody listening to this one thing. You might be in fav, favor of mechanical broadheads or lighted knocks, and and that's totally fine. You might be, you know, against them. Uh, it, it, the point is irrelevant as to what's next. What what is next coming from legislatures? who think that it is okay to bypass the commission. I say that because I, I'm hoping Representative Mitchell maybe gets a chance to listen to this and, and reaches out and, and wants to come on the show and talk about why th- he found it okay to bypass our Fish and Game Commission. I, You know what's funny? Uh, Commissioner, I, I keep getting tongue-tied with uh, when I say Fish and Game because I've been dealing with his Washington issues, and they, they call it Fish and Wildlife. So I keep Correct. wanting to say it, uh, say that, uh, and I catch myself through, uh, you know, mid sentence there. So it's interesting, <laughs> but I, I would, I would invite him to come on the show and discuss his position as to why he found it necessary to bypass our commission, and and introduce this as a piece of legislation. Is he a bow hunter? Is he a hunter? Is he uh, somebody that has some level of expertise on this? Is it is it something that is coming from the folks that? Um, and, and this is going to lead to a question here, uh, Commissioner. But uh, is this going to? Where is this coming from? Why? Why is it? With all the issues that we face as Idahoans, why is a legislature prioritizing a, a hunting, fishing, or I'm sorry, a hunting uh, regulation and rule change that is not in their basket of um, capacities? I hope I'm making sense with this. Sure. One thing that I've seen uh, when when this came out and, and some of the commentary I've seen on it uh, is, what do you say when uh, somebody says, well, we've been trying, we're the last state to not have lighted knocks. We're the last state to not have mechanical broadheads. And the commissioners don't listen to us. And so we had to take it upon ourselves and go to the legislatures to try to get them to make the rule change. What do you say to them? I just don't think that's a great way of getting things accomplished um, long term. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at um, early on in my uh, being a commissioner, you know, we lost uh, two commissioners from uh, them being pretty outspoken in the legislature in regards to some of the things that were going on at the time. Uh, auction tags, bonus point system, things of that nature. And just trying to make sure that all that was managed through the commission. And, um, and it belongs to really great commissioners. 
who you know, I, I really respected. I learned a lot from in my first year, year and a half. It, it's just not the appropriate way to go. Because um, who knows, like you said, what will come down? You know, what, what special interests, what political motivations or biases that constituents wanted that maybe uh, privatizes wildlife or the ability or access to hunt them. It's just, it's a dangerous route to go, and I don't think it has a really good ending. I would like to add to that point, Commissioner, if that's okay. The, sure. Um, when, we, when we were talking earlier about the influx of population into the state of Idaho and how it's gone from, you know, whatever it was 10, 20, 30 years ago to now we're just under 2 million, uh, that's, that's a huge growth rate. Uh, Idaho has been consistently listed in the like top five of fastest growing states in the nation. Um, I know the area that uh, just south of me, Kootenai County, Idaho, is just recently listed as one of the fastest counties and uh, growing counties in the nation. Um, and when you when you consider that, we we can sit here and talk about how a lot of the newcomers to the state of Idaho are folks like us, are like-minded individuals that want to, uh, you know, have hunting as a heritage and a tradition that they want to pass down to their kids, and they're 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 on board with this thing. Um, but what does that look like ten or twenty years from now? And if there's this precedent set that you know, if the commission doesn't want to do it, let's just take it to a legislator and have them do it. What does that look like 10 years from now or 20 years from now when you think about um, – I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate this without getting too political. But when you, when you think about who's moving here, what is happening in other states that are making people want to move to Idaho because the lifestyle is better, the, the, the freedoms are better? The living, that just the overall um, way of life. Gosh, I'm, the 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 phrase I'm trying to use is totally. I don't, may, Commissioner, you must you must make me nervous, man. Are you making you like <laughs> make me nervous? I'm losing my train of thought here. You're, You're intimidating. <laughs> but no, getting back to it, the 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 standard of living, I guess, is one way to put it, is 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 much greater here because of the way that the state of Idaho is run and and some of the lifestyle choices that we have here that we can make ourselves without getting permission. What does that look like 10, 20 years from now as those other states kind of lose that and those folks want to move to a maybe a better tax place, uh, uh, maybe a, a, an advantageous place to have a business? Uh, to raise a family, um, things of that nature. But there's this precedent set that if something isn't going somebody's way, they can go to the legislator to get it changed when it comes to wildlife management. And I ask this question while also reminding listeners that a lot of people like to talk about how only 10% of Americans like to hunt. That is not the case. The actual statistical data breaks down to less than 5% of American citizens actively purchase hunting and fishing licenses. Or not, not fishing, I'm sorry, I misspoke there. Hunting licenses. Uh, fishing is a lot greater. Less than 5%, it's like 4.69% or something like that. It's a little over 4.5% of active hunters each year. So you're talking about a 90 percentile of folks that are not 
necessarily anti-hunters and not necessarily pro-hunters. They're just folks. They don't really care. They like a steak maybe sometimes. Maybe they're vegan. They're, it doesn't matter. What happens if that precedent is set? And I, this is what I want people to think about. 20 years from now, maybe you're just going to be coming into parenthood. 20 years from now, maybe you're going to be a grandparent. I know 20 years from now, I, I, do, I can't imagine I get any grayer than I already am, but I'll be a lot grayer. And we have to think about what the dynamics of this population shift and how we've managed the state and the wildlife in the past in Idaho, established since 1938, that has done a dang fine job, mind you. Um, what is that going to look like in 20 years? Do we have anti-hunters moving to Idaho? I can tell you the answer to that is yes, we do. We do have anti-hunters, people that don't have a taste for hunting. That doesn't mean they necessarily want it to end, but they're kind of opposed to it in a sense of it turns them off. We have to be very careful with that because what does that look like? What's happening in California right now? You have the Humane Society of the United States. In fact, the day that we're recording this was a great big uh, fish and wildlife. I don't, I don't remember what they call it in California. I want to say it's fish and wildlife. Do you do you know, Commissioner? Are they fish and wildlife or? I can't remember for California. I, I can't. I can't either. So, but, but that's coming through the legislature. They're trying to ban all bear hunting. They're trying mm-hmm. to ban, or they're, they're they've still got the Washington State spring bear uh, hunting is banned or canceled. Right. In the right. state of Washington. In Colorado, they just recently had legislation introduced to stop all trapping of any kind of predator or and hunting of all kind of, uh, you know, several predatory animals. I think it excluded bears, but it included mountain lions and bobcats. Um, these things take place through the legislature in negative ways towards hunters and for hunters. And that is the, the, the trap that we will fall in, no pun intended. Do you have something to add to that, Commissioner? You know, just from a standpoint, Jim, as, as, as wildlife management becomes, if it becomes more political, then our heritage becomes watered down. It changes regardless of who's moving here you know, and, and, and how we're able to interact with our wildlife going forward. Those hey, Commissioner, dynamics change. Yes. I, can you move your phone just a little bit? I, you're, I'm having a hard time hearing you, and you, you just made like a really excellent point. Sorry, I'll repeat. Can you hear me better, Jim? Yes, now I can hear you. Sorry about that. No worries. That's my problem. Um, I just basically stated that, you know, as our wildlife management, if it becomes more political, that the heritage that we have will become watered down. And and, you, and you're right. You stated since 1938, things have been pretty good here. Yep. Uh, it's probably the reason that you're still living in Idaho. It's the same reason I'm still living here in Idaho, because I, I want this to continue. And I don't think that I think that politically that could change because there's too many interests, there's money involved and things of that nature, and it just changes the dynamic. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love I love that um, that phrase you use that that uh, wildlife management becoming political can really water down the quality of our wildlife and our and our hunting opportunities. <laughs> And for, for those of you, so I, and, and my listeners already know this, I, I think for the most part, I, I'm not a native Idahoan. I, I, was, I was raised in Utah. Um, I've hunted uh, several western states. I've hunted on the east coast. Uh, I fished all over the United States. Um, and, and so I'm not one of those folks that has vast amounts of experiences in all regions of the world. 
but I've got enough to be able to have an opinion on this. And some folks, I, I think they fall into this trap that they've been in Idaho their entire life and they don't, they've, they've never experienced how things are done in other states. And so th- it's, it's easy to disparage how we do it here in Idaho. But, I, and I've said this a million times, we don't know how great we have it here and we don't want that to change. And regardless of if you like, if you are pro lighted knocks or pro mechanical broadheads, you should be a fixed broadhead bow hunter, in my opinion. Uh, no, I'm kidding, folks. Don't email me about it. I'm just <laughs> that's just my opinion. I literally would not care if anybody used you know mechanical broadheads. I've hunted in states that allow it, so no big deal. Um, if you guys if you guys can you know open your minds to this to an to an extent of which where you can look at maybe. You know, there, there's always going to be with 1.9 million people and and a, and a you know larger percentage of those that are hunters than maybe some other uh, states experience. You know, there's always going to be things that you're going to disagree with. There's no perfect way to manage the wildlife. There's no perfect way to make rules and regulation changes. There's no, there's no perfect way for this entire. There's so many layers to it. There's no perfect way. Somebody's always going to be pissed, whether it's over a rainbow trout or a bull elk. It doesn't matter. Somebody's always going to be mad about it. And so you just have to understand that you take the good with the bad and realize that in the state of Idaho, man, we have it good. We really do have it good. I am, I'm telling you guys, we, we, have, we have a great setup here. Um, I know wolves are a problem. I know the salmon are a problem. I know th- this and that. I, I get it. But we're trying to fix a lot of that, and the, the activity is there from our commissioners. And so... Um, Commissioner, can I can I ask you one? I know we're going a little bit long here. Can I ask you one more question? As many as you want. I'm oh, good. Okay. Uh, can can you kind of explain at at this point in which it is at in the process? Um, and I, I you know folks listening, if if you guys, I, I'm a I'm a board member on the Idaho Wildlife Federation. Shout out to the Idaho Wildlife Federation out there, Brian. You better be listening. Um. There, there is a uh, an email that was sent out that says uh, that has an uh, an easy way for people to reach out to the representatives to oppose this. Um, what else can hunters do to help make the impression on our politicians here in the state of Idaho, state level, um, that we want our wildlife managed through the commission and not through the political process? Sure. I, I think this point where it's at, in fact, I've had people call and ask me the same thing, uh, would be to uh, get a hold of your representatives, and more in particular, the senators on that um, Senate Resource and Environment Committee, where this will be going you know, to vote out of uh, committee or not. They'd probably be the, that'd be the most bang for the buck at this point. Um, and that, that's a able to engage those senators and let them know the importance of, of having these decisions left with the commission. Did you – can you say the name of that, that – um, the Senate? Senate uh, Resource, Resources and Environment Committee. Okay, Resources and Environment because I, I want to I create a tab in the show notes where people can just easily click on it and find some uh, you know, communication methods where, where they can send an email and say, hey – uh, enough is enough with this. Senate, and resources. Senate Resources and Environment Committee. And there's some great uh, legislators in, in that committee. Um, I respect them. They've got a tough job to do. I think it's important to let them know 
uh, you know, hunting heritage to keep it with the commission. And I had a great, I'll use his name, um, he called me the other day, Corey Jacobson. And he, he, we had a great discussion. Um, he articulated an email and, and put it together very well mm-hmm. um, to the committee. And I think that's important to kind of lay out why we feel that way, why it should uh, reside with the commission did, and be respectful. Did you say Corey Jacobson? I did. Does he even know how to elk hunt? <laughs> I think he might know a thing or two. <laughs> Come on, Corey, hit me up. I haven't heard from you in a while, buddy. <laughs> but I mean, you know, as a, as an advocate for Idaho hunting and, and just just every general hunter in the state, mm-hmm. um, I know there's I know people feel that the commission has not listened on this matter. You know, let's get it out of out of the politics, out of the legislature. Let's allow this to go to negotiated rulemaking, like the commission has voted to do. Let's hear everybody's voice and let's run it through the correct way. Yeah. Totally agree with that. And and hunters, I know that I've been asking a lot at those that listen to this show um, this year. It's it's been such a crazy year, Commissioner. Like we have had the the well, let's put it this way: the Humane Society of the United States has brought their A game this winter. And um, absolutely, it's been absolutely busy. Um, and that I think that's an important point too. Like the, we are not immune from the Humane Society of the United States here in, in Idaho. Um, it is just a matter of time before they focus their attention on states like us, which which they they partly have because of our wolf issue and and some of the correct uh, the legislation that has been passed. Um, you know because of wolf stuff. Uh, gosh, this thing keeps kicking me off. But I have the page where all of the senators. On the Resources and Environment uh, Committee are on, so I've got. Uh, uh, so guys, what I'll do is I'm going to post the link to this committee within the show notes on the Resources and Environment Committee, and so you guys can, uh, you know, and and again, be respectful. Nobody's going to listen if you're if you're going to be a jerk. Um, actually, can you talk about that, Commissioner? How how do you what what do you resonate with the best when when you get emails? Do you even pay attention to people that are a jerk to you, call you names and stuff like that? You know, I, I read them. I do, but I don't feel that they're necessarily effective. And sometimes it depends. Some people can be pretty passionate and somewhat cross the line, but they've articulated their point really well um, because we all care about this. It's, yeah. why, it's why we live here. And I think it's it's just important to be respectful. Um, you want somebody to listen to you, not be turned off. Yeah. Yeah, great point. That that that's a super big point, guys. Uh, listen to you and not turned off. And how you turn them off is is by yeah. Well, you guys know what I mean. It, 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 just don't be a jerk. Just be you know somewhat pro- professional. Just express your opinion. It doesn't have to be some long drawn out email. Um, but that way, folks can jump on there and get these uh, email addresses and send. Uh, a quick email. Uh, just from my standpoint, guys, it's easier if you do it individually. Don't try to group them all in one or it'll go to spam. A uh, little trick I learned in the marketing world. So, um, yeah, no, th- this has been a great conversation. Um, I love getting commissioners on, Derek, I, and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, is there is there anything you want to add to this discussion before before we wrap this up? No, I just I really appreciate the opportunity. Um as commissioners, we take our job seriously. We know we're not elected uh, officials. 
but we feel we have accountability and we, we want to keep our heritage strong in the state of Idaho. And we feel that's through the commission process. Who do you think is a better caller, me or Corey Jacobson? Well, um, I haven't been in the woods with either one of you, so I guess <laughs> I, can't, I can't form an opinion yet. Let me answer that. Corey's a little better at it than I am. <laughs> um, but the one thing is, in your neck of the woods, uh, I, I would love to, because uh, I, I, I'm down there quite a bit for my day job, and so uh, we might have to go throw a fly rod around or something when I'm down there. Absolutely, or even just to grab lunch, spend some time in the yeah. woods or on a river, you bet. Heck yeah, I, I, yeah, it's a great area. That you, you live in like the, I don't know, it's it's pretty comparable to up here because we we have a ton of rivers up here too. But I, I there is something about that island park area and and you know the 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 way that the snake is on a drift boat. Um, it's hard to beat that. It's, it really is tough to beat. It is. It's I mean it's world renowned and people come here for a reason. The fishing is great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, my hope is, uh, Commissioner, that we can get this thing squashed out of the legislative process and we can bring it back to the commission and let you guys deal with it the way it's supposed to. Uh, Anybody listening that thinks that that is wrong, understand that there is a history behind this and there is a a reason why we want to prevent the future repercussions that can come out of this process going the wrong direction. And so, uh, Commissioner, your willingness to come on the show, um, talk to some hillbilly that lives in the woods like me, gosh, I appreciate it, man. Sure, I anytime. really do. Anytime, I'm happy to do it. Well, thanks again. I'll uh, let you get back at it, and uh, hopefully this thing, will, we'll kind of see how this plays out, and maybe we can do a recap after after we've seen this thing hashed out and uh, find out what we can do in the, in the future to, to prevent it and be better. That would be great. Thanks again. Thanks, Jim. made it all the way to the end thank you so much for tuning into the show we sure appreciate your support this is jim huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at instagram at the western huntsman and on facebook at the western huntsman and you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com thanks again we'll see you guys next time stay western and i'll see you on the mountain